Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Philadelphia-born, Brooklyn-based jazz alto saxophonist Emmanuel Wilkins. He opened up at length about his latest 2022 CD, The Seventh Hand. This is a follow-up to his acclaimed debut called Omega that was the New York Times Best Jazz Album of 2020. He grew up in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. After he graduated high school, he moved to New York City in 2015 to attend the Juilliard School. From there, he would get swept up up into the scene and he's never looked back dig this story hey man i've been a, a fan of yours for a while i love the seventh hand so thank you oh, for thank taking you. a minute out yeah thank you yeah yeah for real and you're up in philadelphia correct um i'm in i'm in brooklyn right now but i've been pretty much back and forth between new york and philly okay because yeah. i just interviewed a young musician today by the name of micah graves and oh he yeah spark yeah he talked about you quite a bit and oh, what man. kind of an influence in loving your work. So wow, that means a whole lot. Yeah, Mike is great. Yeah, man, his album's great. It's just yeah, it's punchy. It comes right out at you. Definitely, um, absolutely. And and yours, your album as well, man. It's just it's right there. It's ever present. And I find it interesting now with a lot of albums that have been coming out. Obviously, during you know everybody living through COVID, yeah. you know. How does it feel to have new material out, and what has this time meant for you creatively to get to where you're at? I guess it's, it's interesting because gigs are a little um, a little few and far between, so it's actually given the band a unique opportunity to, like, we've been able to just rehearse more, which is uh, really great. Um, I don't know, just kind of time, spending more time with the music and with, with the band, just, like, in in a almost reclusive way has actually like proved to be pretty uh helpful to the music you know we've able to like really just practice without an audience <laughs> well and personally it's been a time i'm sure of self-reflection like for all of us what have you mm -hmm. discovered about yourself that maybe you didn't realize before that's going to make you stronger as hopefully 2022 opens up and there's more live gigs wow yeah that's interesting you know i i think um i've, I've found um maybe a um a second wind of motivation during this time, uh, which is kinda interesting. I guess in the beginning of uh the pandemic, like March twenty twenty, there what um I didn't really have too much motivation. Like like many other musicians that I talked to during that time, like it was hard to really be creative. And I think I'm starting to hit this second shot of uh like real uh motivation and um, you know, kinda locking down and, and really making work and, and, you know, really practicing and, and working on my craft and, and refining my material. So, that's, yeah, that's definitely something I learned about myself is just a, a sort of self-generated energy that I, I, I can tap into or I need to tap into uh, in order to, to grow, you know. And I guess that's the other part of this right now. It's probably hard to say just because these variants keep surprising us. Once we think things are okay, mm. it closes back up. But I guess looking into 2022, are there any prospects, things that are going to be opening up for you with the new album out? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have uh, there's a tour. We have a tour between the end of this week, uh, Thursday, starting this Thursday, um, where we do East Coast for like about two or three days, and then uh, West Coast in February, and then March we're out uh, in Europe from basically the first of March to the 26th. So. I don't know. It seems it seems like things are looking up. Hopefully, and nothing's gotten canceled yet. So hopefully, we can keep it going and and get on the road. This this is the first time we've ever toured. Period, as a band. So it's exciting. 
you know, it seems oh, like man. a long time coming. Well, and it's going to be like a revival. And speaking of the cover of of this album, Seventh Hand, is kind of has the the biblical and and theological symbolism in it. Talk to me a little bit about how that came together. You know, uh, the, the record is loosely around uh, becoming a vessel, um, and this feeling that I had in the music where I felt like maybe um, I wasn't the one doing the work. You know, um, uh, there was a kind of space that I could channel or get into in moments where I was able to tap into maybe like the, the deep subconscious where the, the creativity um, that was kind of being put out uh, felt like I was a vessel. And in my improvisations, it would become like kind of a pursuit of, of nothingness for me, of like kind of trying to empty out any sort of preconceived or front of mind ideas that I had or preconceived notions uh, about the music and, and really just allow for, um, you know, my body to be a channel, I guess. Um, that kind of led me to think about, you know, um, spirit possession or catching the Holy Spirit, the role that uh, spirit possession kind of takes throughout all of the different spiritual practices of the African diaspora, whether that's the black church or West African tradition or South African tradition. Um, all, all these kind of deal with the drums as being central and the dance being central. And I think it's the same with jazz music and blues. You know, so I, I was kind of interested in those things. And, and then the cover kind of came about in, in that same vein, thinking of, like, being, becoming a vessel, catching the Holy Spirit. They also, that's synonymous with the, uh, the term baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I thought it would be cool to um, remix a, a Southern baptism that, you know, they had those old photos in the 50s and 60s of, of you know, baptisms in, like, Mississippi or Georgia or something. And I thought about doing doing something like that, and also kind of the you know the the uh, the significance of water is uh you know I think central to spirituality, and then also um, I think black aesthetics. I think water uh, covers a, a a lot of different interesting territories. So as we established up front, you're from Philadelphia. Talk to me a little bit about your childhood and how you know kind of the flashpoint for jazz happened for you. I started when I was three on the violin. My parents kind of put me on whatever instrument that I uh, wanted to do, and kind of just anything, really. I, I wanted to be a firefighter, so, like, they would take me to the firehouse, or, like, I wanted to be a scientist. They'd take me to enroll me in science lessons and stuff. I really support a parent. Basically, yeah, I settled on violin, and then I moved to piano, both of which I was not very good at. And uh, I tried singing. Also, I wasn't too good. Um, and then the saxophone kind of came in the third grade, I found out I could get into the band a, a year early if I had my own instrument. So I reached out to my parents got, and begged them to, to get me in, uh, a saxophone. Um, they got it for me. I started playing. I rolled in the Clef Club. The Clef Club is like a big hub for the music in Philly, and uh, it used to be a union house back in the day. It has an education program now, but back in like, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, it was just a place for musicians to go hang out. You know, it's it's really ingrained into the scene, and so I feel like I got that like kind of old school mentorship. We all kind of look at the past nostalgically about. You know, I, I often talk to uh, older musicians about what what they feel like is missing in the scene now, and it's that kind of ment that old school mentorship of like just someone you know on the bandstand just helping you out or calling you on gigs. And I feel like um, I got a you know glimpse of that going to the Clef Club, and, yeah, I, I, I give it all up to them. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got started. 
who were some of your influences early on, musicians that you really looked up to to kind of find your voice? When I was uh, super young, my first my first influence was, was Kenny Garrett. I, I feel like he was uh, just you know really accessible um, to to my young mind. Um, he played cool stuff, and that was attractive to me. So Kenny was my first love, um, and then shortly after that. I got really into uh, maybe the opposite end of the spectrum. So I was like super into like Ben Webster, Lester Young, Coleman Hawkins, Benny Carter was a big influence of mine. So yeah, I was, I was really into like old, like really older jazz music and then um, some of the newer cats. And then once I got to college, it, I started to kind of find my voice within Ornette Coleman's music, Henry Threadgill's music, and, uh, you know, Charlie Parker, John Coltrane. You know, those those were like profound, profound influences for me. What about your first live jazz show? What, what was that that really blew you away? Wow, my first live jazz show. I don't even know. I don't even remember. What? Man, okay. I, well, I can talk about some, some jazz shows I saw when I was young. I don't remember what the first one was, but I, I went to go see the Keith Jarrett trio at the Kimmel Center. Uh, that was pretty crazy to me. Um, I loved it. That you know, the standards trio with Jack and Gary Peacock. I remember they did like maybe like eight encores. It was insane. So like they literally played for about like three or four hours. It was uh, <laughs> pretty wild. Uh, that one was pretty profound for me. I was also I, I saw the Wayne Shorter Quartet when I was pretty young, um, and that was also great. I I've seen the Wayne Quartet a, a fair amount of times, but I remember that first time. Both concerts were at the Kimmel Center. That first time was was pretty amazing because I, I wasn't prepared. I didn't. I, I had no idea what the what that uh, that band sounded like with Danilo and you know and and Brian Blade and uh, John Petitucci. I, I didn't. I, I hadn't heard them before that gig, so it was like such a crazy experience to hear that for the first time. You know, you've in in your career up to this point, you've had the chance to really be around some heavy hitters in jazz. What have you learned from kind of the veterans and luminaries in this craft that you in turn use to teach younger players you get around that look up to you? Uh, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Uh, a lot of it is stories, and I, I find as I get older, I start to find the importance of um, storytelling and um, creating this kind of. Uh, generational memory that kind of passes down throughout the music. And I remember, um, you know, a, a, a fair amount of the older musicians would tell me the same stories maybe, you know, 10 times, you know, 10, you know, 10 times a week maybe, you know, like very often. And I remember, you know, thinking to myself, man, like why do they keep telling me the same story? Like they told me this already. And then I started to, you know, maybe think of it not as maybe their mind is going, but actually – Maybe this is, a, is an intentional effort to create some sort of generational memory of these stories and, and really pass down the, the, the culture of the music, um, which kind of gives birth to these intangible aspects in the playing that can't be accessed through any amount of study. You know, uh, it only can be accessed through a certain uh, depth of feeling through the music and a depth of, uh, you know, personality and, um, you know, human love and respect uh, for, for people. And I think that, that like, that beautiful kind of, that, that beautiful personality that they had, I think that, that above anything is something that I try to really, you know, bring when, I, when I'm talking to other people, you know, because um, that, that's kind of, you know, I think the, per, the personhood is really what, 
you know, makes makes this this thing so special. This music so special. Speaking of special, you know, you're in a rather special profession, being a musician. What what's the greatest part about being a professional musician for you? What do you look forward to the most? Being a professional musician, I I I, lo- I mean, just playing for. For, for audiences, I love the feeling of a packed house. I often talk about, and especially with regards to what I missed during the pandemic, I often talk about the feeling of like, like that energy transfers of maybe like 200 people or 300 people packed into a tight room, you know, all kind of projecting their energy on like three or four people on the bandstand. You know, I think that is uh, like such a cool feeling in the room. There's a vibe of just spaces, of rooms, when, when people are in it, um, you know, you can feel that on the, on the bandstand. I, I think that's really uh, my favorite part of playing is, is the whole atmosphere of, uh, and, and kind of, you know, that social aspect of, uh, of performing the music and, and, you know, making people, you know, feel good or, you know, any of that. Well, let's say we get off the phone right now. You're thinking about this answer, but in the meantime, a jazz DeLorean pulls up and you can punch the digits. Go anywhere, see anybody in the realm of jazz. Who are you going to go see? I'm, I'm going to see John Coltrane Quartet. I'm, I'm, matter of fact, I'm probably going to see that uh, that Love Supreme in Seattle that just got released. That's where I'm getting back to. <laughs> nice. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. That, man, I, I'll tell you what, that is the number one answer every time. Coltrane is always <laughs> on the top of everybody's list. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I, I, but, I feel like that, like, talk, talk about a room and, like, a, a vibe of a room. Like, I just wonder what it was like to be in that room, like, when that oh, was happening, <laughs> you man. know. Talk about a, a religious revival. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, quite simply put, you know, you've dedicated yourself to an idiom we all love. Why do you love jazz? You know, I, I love jazz. It, 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 it's, um, you know, uh, my, my, my partner in crime, Joel Ross, often says it's, it's all just about personal expression, and I, I think that's a great way of putting it. Um, it also kind of is all-encompassing of this um, agency that it's a symbol. I, I feel like it's a symbol of uh, a sort of uh, self-determination and of uh, a certain agency that, that it gives you. Um, it, it, it's a beautiful mu- music where you're able to make the music in the moment, and you're the creator. And always, you know, you're always the creator. You're always creating new material, making new material, and nothing sounds the same twice. So, yeah, jazz, you know, jazz is, it, it is deeply, I, I think it also has to do with just the, the way I grew up, you know. Um, you know, the, the music I listened to in the house, it wasn't jazz, but it was, you know, other black music. And I find that uh, kind of jazz gives me that freedom to just, just you know, uh, do what I want and, and play what I feel. And that freedom of expression is kind of paramount, you know. So everyone has a perception of you, an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans. But ultimately, you live your life. You have a perception of yourself. Who do you think you are? Uh, man, you know, I, I think I'm just a, 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 a nice guy just trying to write some music that I want to hear on my phone. <laughs> I think uh, as a musician, that's who I am. As a person, I'm yeah, I'm just a nice guy. I'm a... Fun guy, I, 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 I humbly think I'm pretty funny. You know, I, I think I got a, you know, fine head on my shoulders, I guess, you know. I try to, I, I'm just a curious, I'm a curious fellow. <laughs> I like it, man. Hey, thank you for taking some time out for Neon Jazz today. Good luck with the new album and the return to the stage. I appreciate it. Man, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Emmanuel for his time, music, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store, or visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.